All right, if you'll stand with me this morning as we read from God's Word. We're going to turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. As Pastor Bruce mentioned, he'll conclude his series, Overcoming Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups That Hold You Back. This morning's message is entitled, Overcoming Your Past. Again, we're in Philippians, chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. If you have your pew Bible, you can find it on page 679. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that you would challenge us. And Lord, that you would uh, put our focus on you. So God, that we're not uh, looking behind us, that we can move past our past and look ahead to the great future and the great race you have in front of us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, as we said, we're going to conclude this series that we've been in for the last four weeks, a series we've been calling Overcoming, and overcoming what? Overcoming hurts, habits, and hang-ups that hold us back in life, and there's a broad range of those things, and we've covered four different topics so far in this series. Overcoming, first of all, pride or self-importance. We looked at overcoming discontentment. And two weeks ago, we looked at overcoming financial stress. And then last Sunday, we looked at overcoming sexual purity. Now, so far, you know, we've looked at all these things. Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have blown it in one of these four areas so far? Yeah, don't raise your hand. Because I think we, if we're honest, we would all say, boy, I have blown it in one of those four areas, if not all of those areas in life. And that's why this morning we're going to focus on overcoming your past, okay? Ever since 9-11, travel is totally different today, especially if you travel by plane. Uh, How many have have been on a, you know, the airport travel by plane since 9-11? All right. Yeah, a lot of you have. It's it's radically different. Before 9-11, when you went to the airport... You would go, maybe you did this yourself, but you would definitely see people, and they would carry anything and everything. They had all kinds of luggage they would carry. I mean, they would have a cart all to themselves, luggage piled high, backpacks, handbags, you name it. They didn't care what they carried, how much they carried, or what was in what they were carrying. They just carried it all, and you were able to do that. No big deal. Nobody cared. But now, ever since 9-11, travel's different. People care about what they carry, especially if you travel by plane. Uh, They not only care how much they carry now, but they care about what's inside of the bags that they carry. Why? Because everybody knows at some point before you get on the plane, what are you going to encounter? Yeah, TSA. The TSA people. We love them, don't we? All right, that security checkpoint. And if you've ever been through the security checkpoint, the goal is to be well, you don't want a lot of luggage with you. You want to be lightweight, and you don't want to have, and there's certain things in your bags you don't want to be carrying, right? What are some of those things in your bags you don't want to have? You don't want a bomb, so you don't want explosives. You don't want a knife. You don't want liquids. Basically, you don't want your life, all right? 
Why? Because if they find that stuff in your bag at the security checkpoint, they're going to stop you and they're going to hold you up. And in the process, you're going to hold everybody else up in life. And so you want to breathe through that. Travel is different now. Listen to me. In the same way, we carry baggage from our past that contains, oftentimes, explosive feelings and attitudes. And just like at a security checkpoint, that baggage that we carry from our past, listen, it holds us up in our lives. It holds us back from becoming all that God wants us to be and do as Christ's followers. I I love what Paul says in Philippians here. What Kirk read for us in our text. Let's read it one more time. Notice it in your Bibles or it's even printed in your notes here. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. It says, not that I have already attained. In other words, I haven't reached it. I'm not perfect or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, in other words, brothers and sisters in Christ, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I think if we want to summarize, one way we can summarize these verses of what Paul is telling us, he's pointing out a fact of life for us. A fact of life. Look at it. And that is, I cannot relate to the present if I'm still reacting to my past. I cannot relate to the present if I'm still reacting to my past. And and here's the deal. We all carry three types of emotional hazardous baggage in our lives sometimes. Three types. First, we rehearse our resentments. We go over and over our bitterness. We replay in our mind all the people that have hurt us and we're angry again. In other words, one of the baggage that we often carry from our past is we rehearse our resentments. Number two, we remember our regrets in life. We remember all the things in our past that that we did that we wish we didn't do. We play the if-only game in our minds. And the only problem when you play the if-only game is you never come out ahead, you never win. And then third, we reinforce our remorse. And that just makes us feel down and it makes us feel discouraged. It makes us feel like losers. And so we carry some of these types of baggage from our past. And when we do these three things and carry this emotional hazardous baggage of our past, let me tell you, it holds us back in life. It holds us back from a life of joy. So the question that I want us to answer this morning is, how then do you unload this kind of baggage? How do you unload it? How do you overcome the baggage of your past? Paul says in Philippians 3, specifically focusing on verse 12, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. In other words, Paul says, I forget the past and I focus on the future. How do you do that? Three things. By doing three things. This morning I want to share with you Three things in order to forget the past and begin focusing on the future. Number one, I must give up my grudges. i got to give up my grudges. You see, how should we respond when other people cause us trouble? How should we respond when family members reject us? How should we respond when a good friend double-crosses us or when a colleague at work lies about us? 
Most people respond by, first of all, they want to get even. And if they can't get even, then they hold it inwards. They hold a grudge against that person. And then eventually, if they don't deal with that grudge, that grudge will often lead to bitterness in their heart. But notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. God says, right at the beginning, get rid of it. Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of your grudges. Do you know what that means to get rid of? Sure we do. It means throw your bitterness away. Trash it. Eliminate it. Don't hold on to it. Dispose of your grudges and bitterness. And you say, well, well, why? I like holding on to it. Why should I get rid of bitterness, grudges, and resentment? Because, first of all, listen, it doesn't work. We think it does, but it doesn't. When you're resentful, it doesn't upset the other person. It only upsets you. And the person you're holding a grudge against, they may be out there living their life, doing their thing. And you're at home, and you're stewing, and you're spewing, and you're just saying, listen, I can't stand that person. Listen, you're the one that's hurting in the process. And on top of that, holding a grudge, it's worthless. You can be resentful toward people who have hurt you in the past, but it will never change the past. It will never change what they did to you or said to you. So no matter how much you resent it, it will never change the past. It never resolves the problem. It only makes it worse for you. Yes, all of us have been hurt in the past. Listen, we could line up one after another on this platform, and we all have a story to share of how I've been hurt in the past. Welcome to life on earth. Welcome to a life on earth that's full of sinners who are selfish. We've all been hurt in the past. But some of you are still holding that grudge and you're still allowing people from your past to hurt you in the present. And for some of you, those people aren't even around in your life anymore. And can I bluntly say in loving kindness, that's just dumb. Let it go. God says, get rid of all bitterness. Your past is your past. It cannot hurt you anymore unless you allow it. So give up your grudges. Now, perhaps you're sitting there already saying, man, I cannot believe what you're saying. Listen, it's not me, it's God saying it. And perhaps you're sitting there, how, how, whoa. Let me give you a prime example of someone in the Bible who gave up their grudge. It's the life of Joseph. Most of you have heard of Joseph. Most of you are familiar with his life. In fact, we can summarize his life this way. Joseph was rejected at home by his family. He was slandered at work by his master's wife. And he was forgotten in prison by his friends. And yet, in spite of all that, he didn't give in to bitterness. Whoa. You can read all about this life of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 through 50. But here's the Cliff Notes version. Joseph was the second youngest of 12 brothers. His dad loved him, but his brothers hated him. All 11 of them. 
hated them. In fact, at that time, it was just ten. Due to his dad's favoritism of him. And when their hatred came to a head, the brothers, as you know the story, they threw Joseph into a pit, and they basically left him there to die. But then some traveling merchants came by, and the brothers said, well, hey, let's just sell him. At least we can make some money instead of killing him. So they did that, and Joseph was taken to Egypt where he was sold as a slave to a man named Potiphar. Life seemed to be going a little bit better for Joseph until one day his master's wife tried to seduce him. Because Joseph was a man of God, he refused the seduction of his master's wife, and she falsely accused him of rape, and he was thrown into prison. So here you have a man who was thrown into prison for a crime he did not commit, but his life goes from bad to worse while he's in prison when he's forgotten by his friends after they got out of prison. Now, if anyone had a, quote, right to be bitter, let me tell you, it was Joseph. He lost basically 22 years of his life. And so you can imagine the temptation to get even with his brothers, because that's where it all started, must have been great within him. But listen to his attitude. Years later, as he talks with his brothers and reflecting on all the terrible things that had happened to him in his life, he tells his brothers in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Let me give you my translation. Joseph is basically saying, Brothers, Oh, yeah, you meant it. You meant to harm me, do me evil, and badger me, and make life hell on earth for me. But God, listen, he turned it around and used it for good in my life and now in your lives and for the saving of many other lives. You say, that doesn't sound like a man full of bitterness, does it? No way. That is a man who gave up his grudge by forgiving his brothers. You see, Joseph understood something that we need to understand even today. That you cannot afford to carry around the excess baggage of bitterness in your life. Listen, it holds you back and it makes you miserable. So let me ask you, who are you holding a grudge against this morning? I'm telling you, in this size audience, there are people here who have grudges. Is it a former spouse or a girlfriend, a boyfriend? Is it an employer? Is it a parent, a brother, a sister, a person you once considered a friend? Listen, so many people are still holding on to grudges from the past. And maybe, listen, it's legitimate. You were hurt while growing up. And now you've perhaps even moved away, but you're still keeping and holding on to that hurt, and it's still hurting you now in the present. Maybe for some of you, the person who has hurt you in the past, they've died. Now, now, now what are you going to do? Because you're still holding on to the hurt, and now that bitterness is just eating away at you like a cancer. And to make matters worse, some of you allowed all of this hurt and resentment to pile up in your past, and since the person is not any, around anymore... You simply take it out on your family. You take it out on your husband. You take it out on your wife. You take it out on your kids. You take it out on anybody that's in your path. And that's just not right. Like Joseph, 
Man, we need to let go of our grudges. If you want to get on with your life, there's only one way. And Paul makes it so clear in Ephesians 4, verse 32. It's a word we don't want to deal with. And yet it's the only way to get rid of your grudges. That word is what? Yeah, forgiveness. Forgive those who've hurt you. Just as God has forgiven you in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, in Christ, you are forgiven. And so now, God comes to us and he says, you be forgiving. For your own sake, give up your grudges. Because it's only hurting you, not the other person. The second way to overcome the baggage of your past is I not only must give up my grudges, but I must give up my grief. I must give up my grief. Now, sorrow is a normal part of life. Listen, everybody eventually experiences loss. And many of you have had losses in this last year. Some of you have maybe had the loss of a job. Perhaps you're here and you've had the loss of a dream. And maybe you're one who you've gone through the loss of a marriage or the loss of a friend or even the loss of a loved one who's died. And it hurts. The loss hurts. Grieving is a natural part of life. There's nothing wrong with mourning. In fact, it's interesting, even in the Gospels, when Jesus was here on this earth, he had a friend named Lazarus. Remember Lazarus? And when he died, how did Jesus respond? He wept. He wept. Sorrow, grief. Jesus went on. He says in Matthew chapter, four, verse, chapter 5, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And Paul says in Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So I want you to understand, the Bible says it's okay to weep, it's okay to grieve, and it's okay to mourn. It's part of the healing process. It's part of our life. But listen to me, there's a big difference between mourning and moaning. Moaning is what? It's self-pity. Poor me. When you moan, you resign from your life. You quit on your life. You, and you basically say, man, I just quit. I can't go on. I'll never be happy again. I've lost it all. And you may actually feel like you've lost it all, but the reality is you haven't lost it all. You're still here on this earth, and God is still with you. You have not lost it all, even though it feels like you have. We all understand pain is a part of life. And everybody here has hurts and heartaches. We've all experienced them in life, but you can't allow your pain to make you a prisoner of that pain. You've got to not only let go of your grudges, you've got to learn to let go of your grief so that you can move on in your life. It's not the easiest thing in the world to do, so how do we do that? How do we give up a grief? Well, there's a story in the Old Testament, in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. And it's, it's a beautiful story, but you have to go under the, under the layer of the story to see the beauty of it. Because on the surface, it's a very painful story. 
It's a sad story. It's a tragic story. But it's a beautiful story because it tells us how to let go of our grief. And we have the example of somebody who did this, and that example is King David. David, as many of you know, had an illegitimate child by Bathsheba. You know the story. He basically took another man's wife, and then to cover up his sin, he had her husband killed so he could marry her, and it was a grievous sin, a sin that did not honor God, and it was a grievous sin. Bathsheba became pregnant and bore a son, but that son became very, very, very sick. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 and 18, you'll find there that how David responded while his son was still alive but very sick is he laid himself on the ground and he prayed for days. He basically said, God, save this child. Have mercy on this child. Spare the life of this child. David fasted, he prayed, and he wept. But on the seventh day, we are told that the child, what? Died. Folks, which just goes to show us that even though we have a loving Heavenly Father, we do not always get what we pray for. So what did David do after this child died? The child that he loved dearly. He did three things. And it's the same three things we need to do to let go of our grief. First of all, accept what cannot be changed. Accept what cannot be changed. That's the first thing David did. He accepted what could not be changed. If you have your Bibles, you can go to 2 Samuel 12 and look at this with me, or you can just listen as I read it, of what David says. He has this conversation with his servants. His servants come to him, and, and they ask him some questions, and now David responds to them. And here's what he says to his servants in 2 Samuel 12, verses 20 through 22. His attendants, or his servants, asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered. That is David's answer. While the child was still alive, yes, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? And of course the answer is, no. No. David is basically saying to his servants, while the child was still alive, I prayed to God. I prayed for his grace and his mercy on that child's life. I wept and I fasted, but now he's dead. Yes, there is a time for mourning. There is a time for sorrow. But the time is now to get on with life. So how was David able to respond this way? Because this, let's be honest, this is amazing. This is somewhat radical. So how did he do this? He, first of all, he accepted what he could not change, what could not be changed. And some of you are still in pain from events that happened years ago in your life. And the key to your peace of mind is in one word. Acceptance. Acceptance. You must accept God's will in your life. Listen, God is still sovereign. He is the sovereign ruler, and he is still on his throne, and he is still in control, and you need to accept from God what cannot be changed in your past. 
Number two, the second thing that David did that gives us insight for you and I today is to play it down and pray it up. Play it down and pray it up. Now, what do I mean by play it down? Play it down. What am I talking about here? Basically, don't exaggerate it. Don't exaggerate. And here's why I say that. Because oftentimes, when we suffer loss, and when we experience grief in our life, our natural tendency is to feel what? Like the world has ended. That's, that's what, how we want to feel. But the world has not ended. Yes, you are heartbroken, and that is legitimate. But the world has not ended. Have you ever found that the world goes on? While you're grieving, the world doesn't stop. So don't exaggerate your grief. Instead, play it down and pray it up. Notice what David did after his child died. Look at it, or listen to it, in verse 20 now. He says, then David got up from the ground. Now, why was he on the ground? Again, he was praying to the God. The child died now. So he got up from the ground. And after he washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes... He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. What did David do with his grief? He went to church, basically. He went to church and worshipped the Lord. Now, don't miss the significance of this. David is putting his focus where? Where's his focus right now? It's on God. He got his eyes off of his circumstances here and on the one who was greater than the circumstance. Listen, the worst thing in the world that you can do when you are grieving is to stop worshiping the Lord with other believers in Christ. That is the very moment when you need to worship the Lord with other believers anytime else in your life. And yet, when we're grieving, our natural tendency is to isolate. I just want to hold myself up in my room, in my house. I want to feel sorry for me, because the world has ended. Listen, take, we need to heed the example of David. And come to the house of the Lord and worship Him, understanding that this was God's will for my life, even though I don't understand it, even though I don't like it, but I must accept it, because it's what has happened. And I will put my eyes and my confidence on God Almighty. And I will take my focus off my circumstances here, which brings us to our second point, or our third, I'm sorry. Focus on what's left, not on what's lost. Focus on what's left, not on what's lost. Verse 24, it says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba. And he went to her and made love to her. And she gave birth to a son. And they named him Solomon. Folks, listen to me. It is true. David experienced a great loss with the death of his child. And in no way are we trying to minimize that loss. Or even your loss. But he still had a wife, he still had friends, he still had the people of God and the Lord himself. You say, I don't have much left. And I know that's the way we feel, but yes, you do. You have your life, and you have a church full of people who will pray for you and who will care for you if you will make your needs known to them. 
You have the Lord who loves you. You have a lot more than you're looking at. So focus on what's left and not on what's lost. You say, well, why is this so important? Because if you focus on what's lost, it will result in self-pity. And self-pity is so much more damaging to your life than any tragedy you will ever face because self-pity perpetuates the pain. That's what self-pity is all about. I just relive it over and over again. And I have this party that nobody else is invited to except me. And I perpetuate the grief and the pain over and over and over again. The key is focusing on God's amazing grace and His goodness in your life, even though we may not understand the purpose of the loss in our life at that moment. Or perhaps even for the rest of our life until we get to heaven. Some of you are still holding on to grudges from the past. Some of you are still holding on to grief from the past and it's holding you back in life. You need to let go of that excess baggage. But there's a third type of hazardous baggage we need to let go of. Number three, I must give up my guilt. My guilt. Do you ever feel like you're in the penalty box of life? Do you secretly think because of the mistakes you've made in the past, the rest of your life is now wasted? There's really no future for you? Someone called this the Humpty Dumpty syndrome of life. You've heard of Humpty Dumpty, right? All the king's horses and all the king's men, nobody's going to put me back together again. And we often feel that way. We think that way. And perhaps you feel the same way King David did when he wrote Psalm 38, verse 4, and he says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. If that's the way you feel, listen, I've got some great news for you. God wants to forgive your sins. God wants to forgive your sins, and not only that, He wants to relieve you of your burden of guilt that's holding you back and weighing you down. And yet some people refuse to simply accept and receive God's forgiveness for their sins, and so they end up hanging on to their guilt like a backpack, and as a result, they lock themselves into a prison if somehow they are paying for their own sins. But look what David writes in Psalm 32, verse 1. He says, Blessed, blessed is he whose transgressions, that's just another word for our sins, blessed is he whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That's what God wants to do for you through His Son, Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? How do we overcome our guilt? There are two approaches to guilt. Two approaches to how people deal with guilt. One way is wrong, the other way is right. Matthew, and they're, and they're both seen in two of the disciples of Jesus Christ. We, we, see, we see it in the person of Judas, and then we see it in the person of Peter. And both Peter and Judas, on the night before Jesus was taken into custody, both of them did what? They denied Jesus Christ. We often refer to Judas's denial as the betrayal. And he did it for 30 pieces of silver. And we know the story of Peter. He denied Christ three times before the rooster crowed three times. Right? But they responded to their guilt very, very differently. 
One response was right, one response was wrong. And every time we sin, we choose one of these two responses to our guilt. So let's look at these two approaches to guilt. The wrong way first. The wrong way. Judas responded with condemnation. He responded with condemnation. Matthew 27, verses 3 through 5 tells us, When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, and he was seized with remorse, and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then notice the last sentence. Then he went away and hanged himself. Today we call this suicide. Judas committed suicide, which is the ultimate expression of self-condemnation. Judas basically said, I've blown it. I've made the biggest mistake of my life. I've committed the greatest sin you could commit. Therefore, life is worthless and I am condemned. And so he went out and took his own life. Now, let me just say, there are many ways to live in self-condemnation without committing suicide. And many people today do. They are living in self-condemnation because of their past and their guilt. And it's the wrong way to deal with guilt. Let me show you the right way to deal with it. And it's the Peter way. Peter responded with confession. He responded with confession. Matthew 26, 75 says, Then Peter, he remembered as well the words Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now Peter had the same remorse that Judas did but he responded differently. What did he do? He confessed his sin. You say, well, how do we know he confessed his sin? We know because a few days later, after the resurrection, when Jesus was walking around on this earth for those 40 days, Jesus, it's an amazing story that you can read in John chapter 21, Jesus restored Peter as one of his disciples. Jesus basically brings him back to himself And through his acts of forgiveness and kindness, he restores him. And I'm sure Peter must have thought, Lord, how could you use me now after what I did? I blew it. I I just, I did the biggest mistake ever. And you even predicted it and warned me. And yet I still did it. I am so unfaithful. But Peter confessed his sin. He repented of his sin. He acknowledged to God I blew it. You're right, and I'm wrong. And Peter, the man who denied Jesus Christ the night before his crucifixion, was the same man then in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, that God chose to use 50 days later on the day of Pentecost to speak. And what happened? 3,000 people came to Christ. Listen, Peter's past did not hinder God from using him in the present. Why? Because he dealt with his past. He dealt with his guilt. Instead of carrying that baggage with him into the future. And God used him as a mighty man in the establishment of the early church there in Jerusalem. 
Wow, that's the God of the second chance. That's the good news of God's grace. You confess your sin to God, and He will forgive you and restore you. So what do you do with your guilt? Well, you've got some options here in this world. Listen, you can repress it, but that doesn't work just pushing it deep down inside of you. When I swallow my guilt, listen, my stomach keeps score. Your body keeps score. And there are people who are dealing with physical ailments and stress and you name it. And one of the reasons is because they haven't dealt with their guilt of their sin. So you can repress it, but it doesn't work. You can't express it. You say, how do you do that? Here's how people express their guilt. They just keep living it out over and over again. Repeating the same sins over and over again. Because basically they think, well, what difference does it make if I sin more? I already feel so guilty anyway, so I just may as well go out and do it again. But that doesn't work either. As the next day you wake up, what are you still stuck with? Your guilt. Listen, the only way to deal with it is to confess it. To give it to God. To say, God, you are right about this in my life. I was wrong, and here's what I did that was wrong. Please forgive me. Based upon Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to confess your sin to God? Here's some things it doesn't mean. It it doesn't mean you you beg God for his forgiveness. We don't have to beg God for his forgiveness. Listen, God is waiting to forgive you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wipe the slate clean in your life. You don't bargain with God either when it comes to his forgiveness. Listen, you don't say, God, if you'll forgive me this time, I'll never do it again. Listen, confession doesn't make you perfect. You figured that out? How many have confessed your sin and then a week later you, well, you stumbled and fell? Right. So confession of our sin does not make us perfect, but it does deal with our past. And you don't blame other people either. Confession is not talking about and saying, uh, God, the reason I sinned was because, well, it's really their fault. You know, that's the old childish saying, the devil made me do it. Instead, confessing our sin, it means you take responsibility for your sin. You confess it to God, and by faith, you receive his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Look what David says about repressing sin versus confessing sin in Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5. It's in your notes here, look at it. He says, when I kept silent... In other words, when I didn't deal with my guilt of sin, when I kept it inside of me, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But notice what happens when he confesses it. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Whoa, that is so awesome. And then the Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, one of my all-time favorite verses, because I'm a human being who sins, that if we confess our sins, God is what? Faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And here's the best part. Purify us from all unrighteousness. So as we conclude, here's the bottom line question. Out of these three 
hazardous emotional baggage that we all carry around. Which one of these are you carrying today? You know, my two boys, they both have backpacks. Your kids, do your kids have backpacks? Backpacks are a big deal. When I was in school, you had a duffel bag. <laughs> or you had nothing at all. You just carried your books on the bus. Today, they get backpacks. And it's kind of funny. Every year, they want a new backpack. And we're like, nope, that one's still good enough. So they have these backpacks. And of course, what do you do with a backpack? You put all your books in it, right? And sometimes it could be heavy. And they'll sling that over their back, and they walk up to the bus stop with their backpacks on. And you know what? When I see kids standing at the bus stop, because I'll take Jack up to his bus stop and wait for the bus to come, and there'll be a long line of 12 kids there. And I guarantee you, almost every single one of them has a backpack on. And they're just standing there talking, and nobody thinks a big deal about it. It's all accepted. And folks, listen to me. That's the problem in our world today when it comes to the baggage that we carry in life. It's so part of the norm and commonplace in our society now that it's just somewhat accepted because everybody's carrying around all this excess baggage that's holding them back. But listen to me. God has so much more for you. Can can you imagine what it may be like to unload that backpack and take it off and let God carry it for you? And let God deal with that junk in that backpack? Because here's the flip side. You know, backpacks are a needed item, aren't they? How many have ever traveled? You've ever done some hiking? Um... There's times when we, we travel for mission trips and campaigns. Uh, you know, we, we walk a lot, and so I'll have a little, little satchel or backpack, and it's got my needed items in there. So backpacks can serve a great purpose. So it's not an issue of the backpack. What's the issue? What's in it? What's in it? And sometimes we are carrying backpacks full of junk that's holding us back of grudges, and grief and guilt that's so unnecessary because God has provided, get this, he has provided a a hazardous baggage drop-off zone. Do you know where it's at? It's at the cross of Jesus Christ. God has given to you and I the cross of Jesus where we can come to the cross now And we can unload our baggage. We can let it go. We can unpack the grudges. We can unpack the grief. We can unpack the guilt. And we can lay it at the foot of the cross and let God deal with it as He sees fit. Why in the world, when God offers that to us through His Son's death on the cross and resurrection, why in the world would anybody in their right mind want to keep packing their backpack with that junk and carry it through life? Because all it's doing is holding you back. It's just holding you back. I love what the Bible says. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, when you come to the Christ cross and put your faith in Jesus, listen, your sin is washed white as snow. 
Your slate is wiped clean, and you become a new person inside. That is the most awesome thing God has ever done for us. So, again, I ask the question, which of these three baggage of your past are you still carrying around with you in the present? Is it grudges? Are you holding a grudge against somebody? Listen, let it go. Some of you are still allowing people in your past to hurt you in the present, and the Bible says get rid of all bitterness. Are you carrying the baggage of grief? Let it go. Accept what cannot be changed. Play it down and pray it up. Focus on what's left and not what's lost. Are you carrying the baggage of guilt? Give up your guilt by confessing it to the Lord and receiving His forgiveness and letting Him wipe the clates clean with your heads bowed. And as we pray and respond to God this morning, listen, there are many of us here who need to respond. There are many of us here who are hanging on to grudges and grief and guilt. And we need to let it go at the foot of the cross here right now. Zach and the praise team are going to sing. And listen, I, I, I beseech you, I exhort you to come to the cross. You say, how do I come to the cross? You come to the cross in prayer and by faith in Jesus Christ. And you just lay it out to God through prayer. And you let go of that grudge and that grief and that guilt. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your word. Help us to apply it right now and even this week in our lives as only you can do. Help us to give up our grudges, our grief, and our guilt. We pray this in your name. Amen. As the praise team sings, will you come to the cross and unload some of the baggage from your past? Mm -hmm.